Welcome to the podcast Beyond the Triangle. I'm Amy Beth Horman, and this is episode 21, entitled Your Instrument, Your Voice. Today, I will be discussing the crucial and exciting task of finding the right instrument to aid your young artist in finding their voice. I talk a lot about young musicians finding their unique voice, and I think I can't stress enough that this is the key to success in a performance career. I have a blog on falling in love with your sound, which has been posted and reposted on violinist.com, and it speaks clearly about why I think this is so vital to any true artist's life's work and career. If you don't feel connected to your sound, and if you can't feel free in your technique enough to play with abandon, how can you expect your audience to revel in your playing and want to come back for more? And as teachers, I believe we should be talking about this at every lesson. Technical facility and connection is everything in virtuosic training. So today, we are going to talk about how I would love students and parents to start thinking about instrument rentals, purchases, and much-needed upkeep and maintenance. As I sit here, I am about to call the violin shop I love here in San Francisco and make an appointment for both violins, because mine definitely needs a soundpost adjustment, if not a seam check, and Ava's is still not where I think it could be. And both instruments are the right instruments for us after semi-exhaustive searches with bows to match, but they both require time, attention, upkeep, and adjustments. It's a journey. As usual, I'm going to give you real talk from all the perspectives, student, teacher, adjudicator, and parent. And this is going to get particularly interesting in this episode because I have so many anecdotal stories to tell from every angle. I love how these stories can carry a deeper, more immediate truth than a list of facts. But don't worry, I'll get into some facts too. So let's get started. When you first start lessons, most go the route of a good rental. Why this is seems pretty straightforward, but it bears a bit of explanation, I think. Especially for violin, it can be a hard instrument to start, and some kids will lose interest or decide they want to move in a different direction pretty quickly. Parents, too, can be surprised at the level of commitment necessary for effective training, even right from the start. A daily commitment to practice, group lessons, private lessons, and let's face it, none of it sounds good at first. Some people just won't continue, and that's fine. If you're on a rental agreement, this is simple to deal with. If you have bought your violin on Amazon, you are probably out of luck, unless you're a pro at selling unwanted items on eBay. If you have a moment, just go see how many little violins are on eBay already. Anyhow, renting is also far better as an option because it ensures a certain quality of instrument, and you never really know what you're getting when you buy online. It seems like a great idea at first because you avoid rental cost every month, but then you might have a subpar instrument, which probably already needs some repair early on, and repairs on tiny violins especially are very costly. Okay. Now let's suppose you've been playing for a while on a rental and your kid loves it. I remember this moment with Ava when I have the thought, hmm, 
Should we take the plunge and buy a finer instrument? I could see her passion and her interest in beautiful tone and sound, colors even, happening through the bow early on in her training. She was trying to communicate through sound while she was building her foundational technique. I had a friend of mine over for dinner who is a wonderful professional violinist, and I asked if he could hear her and assess whether we needed to stop renting and maybe start thinking about a purchase. She was only on an eighth size at the time. She played something for him, and he looked at me and smiled and then congratulated Ava and said we could talk about it over dinner after the kids went to bed. At dinner, he essentially told me I would be a very bad music mom if I didn't buy her a violin because she was already searching for beauty and anyone could see that. Ugh, right? Instant guilt. A definite pass-the-wine moment for this mom. Oh, and also, uh, go ahead and pass my wallet with that wine. A quality one-eighth or one-quarter is a rare find, which means money. And I already knew that, of course. We were fortunate in that we had a wonderful relationship through my studio with Potter Violin Shop in our town. They found the perfect violin for Ava and worked with me on how to purchase it for her, along with a wonderful bow, and it immediately made a tremendous difference. Ava already loved playing and practicing and violin in general, but this was a special moment to receive her first violin that was truly hers and one she could explore more with. So from this, you can gather that I think there are circumstances where purchasing rather than renting early on can be beneficial. For some kids, I do think it can boost their passion and interest, and it can allow them to explore tone more fully on a better instrument. Other kids who, in the end, really did just as well 10 years down the line were on a rental and didn't go to a purchase as quickly, but at the same age, if I'm honest, they weren't quite as sensitive to sound and touch. I think this is a good difference to talk about because children develop so differently. There are kids who are phenomenally talented and go very far, who don't have that same sensitivity to sound quite as early on. They're more fascinated and focused with the mechanics, which is wonderful. The sensitivity to sound and tone comes later for them, which is totally fine. A great rental can serve them fine for a while then. But even in these cases, it might be worth having your teacher call in and ask for the best rental they've got. Or it might be worth a trip to test out their best rental against a for-purchase instrument. Most shops will let you take out a few violins on trial. You can then take them to your teacher and see if there is a palpable enough difference between the great quality rental and the instrument you could buy to have. Then make an informed, thoughtful decision. The point is to stay informed and be ready to switch it up to keep their interest and love for music on its toes. You want kids to be curious and exploring with their instrument while they're getting fundamental training. As a teacher, when I see a child who is clearly trying to pull a story out of their bow at an early age, I endeavor to get them the best instrument possible in their size. Know too that if you are fairly sure that they will continue, you will likely get your money back and trade in. Also, owning something that is theirs carries emotional value, too. They take pride in owning something and want to get to know it in a different way. 
They also take care of it differently and more carefully sometimes, which can be terrific. All musicians need to learn to form a connection and take care of their instruments. Later on, it might be the largest investment they ever make. So forming those connections early to treasure it, treat it with care, never leave it in the car, you get the idea. Most professional musicians I know spend more money on their instruments than their houses. They have loans for both. Here's a funny story from when I was younger. I'll never forget how my mom and I talked in the car after one lesson where my teacher sheepishly told us he had bought a house. He was giving us a new address for us to go for our next lessons. This was kind of out of the blue, but we were so happy for him. It's just that he was looking a bit down. When we asked why, he ended up laughing and told us his wife had informed him it was time to buy a modern violin and sell his antique one because that cost of the antique had kept them in an apartment with young children for enough years already. He was able to sell that antique because he had kept it in mint condition. And a beautiful house it was, along with a very beautiful modern violin. Let's get back to instrument purchases. Obviously, it's important to keep your instrument in mint condition if you're going to receive your money back as you upgrade to the next size. So let's talk about a small list of concerns in purchasing early for your young child. Giving your small child a fine instrument can raise your blood pressure daily. My husband still tells my daughter to back away from the metal stand and states his anxiety level is through the roof about her banging it. Have you visited our Instagram lately? Ava is very gregarious and loves to dance and play violin at the same time. Her father can't even watch those videos. The thing is, I don't want her to be afraid of the instrument. I want her to be expressive and free, and I want her technique to develop alongside that freedom. So there might be a few incidents in our future, but hopefully nothing major, and so far, so good. Excuse me while I knock on a wood chair. Ava has owned a fine instrument since she was six, and she has never had to take it for more than a minor rib repair with a paintbrush and varnish. But all kids are different, and you know your kid better than anyone. Ava still talks about the day that she dropped her rental violin right after she had just started, and the way she describes it, the violin must have exploded into a million pieces. The truth is, it was a few hundred dollars to repair it, and that was the rental. So if you know in your gut that they aren't ready for an investment instrument, do not hand them one. There are many modern maker lines of instruments now sold in shops that are terrific and will serve you up until you feel more confident about a larger purchase. Or just stay with your high-quality rental. I have had three kids, and it's fair to say that one is more clumsy than the others. I won't name names. They're lovely. It might go away, and they know who they are. Also, some kids who are in a growth spurt or have just finished a growth spurt are just plain unaware of the length of their arms or bodies currently, and this can up the chances of a mishap. So trust your gut on this one and know that there is going to be a right time for that larger purchase or for any purchase at all. 
Okay, if you have decided to take the plunge, what's the next step? Contact your local violin shop or shops and make an appointment. I cannot stress enough how important this is because just stopping by rarely leads to a great discovery. And especially with kids, I think calling ahead and making a set time to meet with someone from the shop ensures that you have given them a price range of some sort, usually advised by your teacher, and that the shop can gather instruments they think might fit the bill. They will then also find bows that are suitable matches and have a room for you to try them all out. Now, all shops work differently, but in my opinion, the ideal setting for this would be a room with a few violins and bows at a time, plus a person who can describe them to you. They should also help you keep track of what you're playing and the qualities that you like or dislike in the instruments. Trust me when I say it can get very confusing very fast. Violins look oddly alike, and a lot of times they don't have tags or labels on them to help you. This is good because you don't want to know what one thing costs compared to another, but the shop staff knows them all very well. This will also help the shop find more for you to try as they get to know you and your preferences. All of this will move you closer to the right instrument. Also, in many cases, the person showing your instruments can play it too and often can try some harder things out on your potential instrument to see how it will sound on repertoire that you're headed for. I find this can be quite useful because kids grow and progress very quickly when they're passionate about music and you don't want to have to make multiple purchases between sizes. Your teacher can also do this during a trial period while you have the instrument before you make any decisions. I've been known to not only play a few concerti ahead on a potential instrument, but also to try out bow techniques that haven't been acquired yet, or double stops or skills that are just on the horizon. We want this to be a happy purchase that lasts. Once you have zeroed in on a few choices, the majority of shops will allow you to take those violins on trial, sometimes for a few weeks. This can allow you to show them to your teacher and also to try them in different acoustics. For the larger purchases I have made for myself and also for Ava, I tried the violins at home, at a church, and in a hall. It is amazing how some violins will sound as if they are quite intimate in a house, but then in a hall are astounding at their projection. Some violins sound like cannons everywhere. And this might seem good on the surface, but we don't always play in large halls. You want an instrument which can project in different ways, and you want a clear tone across the strings with great facility. Some people prefer brighter or darker, but we all want clarity. Clarity and facility are incredibly important for artistic growth. Let's take a break for a story. Once in my 20s, I had the opportunity to try out a Strad. I had it for only a weekend, but I now refer to it as my honeymoon with my artistic self. The sound and facility were so immediate that I actually revisited a few concerti that weekend in the midst of preparing just one to play with orchestra because the nature of this incredibly special violin was allowing me to come up with new ideas, prompting my ear to refresh passage work and phrasing of major concerti. I thought I knew exactly how to play these works, 
but with a newfound facility and an immediate clarity and tone across the strings, my ears were coming up with new things. It was truly amazing. I also had a Guadagnini generously on loan for years. I learned so much about myself musically during that time, and when I finally had to give it back, I cried for a week and felt so lost without it. It is very difficult to explain to people the connection we have with our instruments. It becomes our voice. Losing it is excruciating, but we should be on the hunt for that kind of excruciatingly sincere connection every time we purchase an instrument at the higher levels. We are on a journey, and the instrument we play can open up roads we wouldn't see otherwise. Know that saying, the road less traveled? Musically, this is something we should all be looking for, to be able to wind around musical roads less traveled on literature that has stood the test of time. That's what fills halls and keeps music alive. So how long does it take to find the right instrument? For me, sometimes it has taken months, once close to a year. I have had violence on trial for students for weeks and not been able to make the plunge, much to the chagrin of the shop owners. I've sent back bows for students so many times as unsuitable for them that the shop owners have written me in frustration, thinking we will never get there. But we do. A wide search is sometimes necessary. And think, if you're a young artist, this is a great feeling to know that somebody will search for you, really help you try and find exactly the right equipment to help your voice be heard. With smaller sizes, you have to hunt like crazy, and the prices can be inexplicable, but you're basically looking for a needle in a haystack with fractional instruments. The older ones don't even come in official sizes because many were deemed ladies' instruments or for children. So they end up being between traditional sizing, not fitting shoulder rests properly, but they can also be gorgeous and worth every penny. A bow for a violinist is like a paintbrush, and as soon as I have students who are launching bow technique off the string, I ask them to invest in a good bow. This has the tendency to surprise parents in two ways. They are shocked that they have to pay a tidy sum of money for a bow, and they are also shocked at the difference it makes. Matching a bow to an instrument can yield an amazing difference in clarity and tone, and it can take months to find that match. For some students, we will think about upgrading their violin, but instead upgrade the bow and stay with the same violin for years longer. So asking the teacher for guidance is paramount, and having a shop you can trust is just as important. You might be on the hunt for a while and trying different combinations of things until you know it is right to move forward with a purchase. Once you find your instrument, you generally will want documentation to show you the history of the violin if it is a major maker or one of note. You will also want an appraisal. I have in a few circumstances gone for a second appraisal before purchase, but this is tricky business because shops will sometimes disagree on pricing. What seems like a major discrepancy to you might not to them. This isn't like buying a car. Older instruments might have prior repairs or flaws, in fact almost all of them do, 
and you have to take this into account. Some shops will dock more from the price than others for things. Feel free to ask to negotiate on price a bit if you're unsure you are comfortable with the stated price from your shop. In the end, you need an appraisal from that shop for insurance purposes. And yes, everyone needs instrument insurance. I have over the years seen major rib damage, corners knocked off, violins dropped and sustaining major damage that required months of repair, thousands of dollars. These things add up. And as soon as you have one of them happen to you, you will be so glad you paid your instrument insurance for the year. So please don't leave your violin shop without asking who they recommend for instrument insurance. We use heritage insurance in our family and have for decades. We are generally taking a few hundred dollars out a year for an annual premium with no deductible. So don't worry, this isn't as high as auto coverage every month or home insurance, but you still need it in my opinion, and particularly if your instrument is above 5,000 in value. The value of things in your case can add up pretty quickly if you count the bow and the instrument. And bows too can break almost inexplicably with rapid temperature changes from one location to the next or just from car to house. When choosing instrument insurance, check the policy very carefully for what it covers and the deductibles. Let's talk about a hot topic in instrument purchases, modern versus antique. Ava is currently playing an antique instrument and I am playing a more modern one. Modern violins are far more affordable and can produce startlingly similar results as an antique. Antiques are more expensive in part because some believe their sound to be inherently more developed and beautiful, and also because they have antique value, and there are no more of that maker appearing on the market. It should be noted, though, that I don't personally believe there to be much of an investment in instruments less than 100000 in price, because even though they are antiques, you will have to consider private sale to avoid commission fees, and there isn't much dependability in the private sale market. Modern violin makers are so much more affordable these days that it is a hard option to pass up, because you will get a very similar sound, if not equal, and certainly equal facility for a fraction of the price. The one thing about modern violins that does bear noting is that sometimes they are so new that they are still developing. While this can be exciting to take part in watching your violin grow into its own sound, it also has its risks, as you don't really know where it's going or where it will land. And it might take longer to break in than you would like. You can always try out violins from the same maker that are a little older to see where it might be headed, but there's no guarantee. Also, some very well-reputed modern makers have enormous wait lists, so you could get on one of those with a deposit, but it will take you three years to see your violin, and then it is a brand new violin, which again, you will need to break in in hopes that it becomes what you would like. Having said that, I have in more than a few occasions purchased both a modern violin and a modern bow, which were commissions that were failed in that they were made for someone and then it turned out not to be a good fit and they worked out wonderfully for me. So for me and for my career, modern has been a wonderful option. And if you are someone who hopes to maybe acquire a loan later when you're more established as a player but would like a personal violin that can stay with you for the long term, 
I feel modern is often a solid bet. Now here's some real talk for parents about purchasing and the decision to invest finally in an instrument purchase. I know that it is a major decision for some families, and sometimes I am rather surprised by what I hear from families about why they might be waiting. Even in my own studio, I hear parents waiting to see some sign of a child's potential or talent before investing in a better instrument. Sometimes they're looking for them to prize in a competition or get a higher seat in orchestra before taking the plunge. There's a problem with this logic, however, because both facility and beauty of sound are huge factors in the ticket price of a violin, as is projection. If you are having your kid play on a rental or an instrument which is less than a few thousand dollars and they are in the virtuosic literature, you're asking a lot from them technically to achieve these pieces on a lesser instrument. I was on a $1,500 instrument for a very long time back in the 80s, and my teacher eventually flat out told my parents I could hurt myself and to figure it out. They went to their family and both their churches, and they did just that. It wasn't easy for them, but the difference for me was huge. My facility skyrocketed, and so did my passion, because suddenly I could achieve things with so much more ease. Artistically, there were many more options for me to explore that I looked forward to practice even more, and I was already a very passionate kid. Lesser instruments put undue strain on the hands and the shoulders, too. Injuries are very common in avid string players already. And the last thing we wanted as a family was to wait any longer and find me injured. I think my parents were actually thinking somewhere along the lines of, well, she seems to be managing great with this instrument. And I truly was. But my teacher's concern was more about my health and my artistic development. And I'm glad that he stepped forward and convinced them. Within that year, I had a violin worth about 8000 which at the time was a really good sum of money, and a bow worth 1500 which comparatively was a bit high, but brought the violin to an even higher level. It was the perfect match. As for competitions, I have heard other teachers say out loud that the best instrument will always win, when students are fairly close together in abilities. I don't exactly agree with this, but it has a point and it's worth thinking about. A gorgeous sound is absolutely compelling. And if it is paired with greater facility, that combo promotes better artistry. In the right hands, this can be seriously hard to beat. And many competitive players are already sporting violins which are in the high five figures. I know that this might be shocking to some, but I promised you real talk. Even I can't explain how most have acquired some of these, but it is still true. So if you are thinking your kid can beat that on an instrument like mine was at $1,500 or less, I'm here to tell you that you're literally dreaming out loud. And holding that over a kid's head or waiting for results to show you their potential in the scenario I just described is wholly unfair to them. Now, I know most cannot afford these gigantic price tags, and my parents couldn't either. 
My husband and I wrangled ourselves into a ball trying to figure out how to make the best purchase we could for Ava recently, and it might take us a long time to recover from that. The basic and more important truth to take away from this is that the more you can do, the better, and the sooner you do it, the better. I'm trying to tell you, don't hold off on this. And don't think that because you can't afford the high five figures, you should just stay in your lane and not even step forward. Do what you can to purchase as well as possible within your means for your child's instrument. And don't be afraid to explore all the options, even instrument loans from teachers and institutions. Sometimes this is a wonderful option for students and it can sustain them for a very long time. Now on to the business of maintenance and instrument care. So you have your instrument and you love it and it serves you beautifully. How long has it been since you did simple things like changed the strings? I had a student admit to me recently that it had been more than a year. They're new to me, so I was astonished. How long has it been since you had the violin looked at for seams or a sound post adjustment? How straight is your bridge? Many people forget to clean their instrument, and not just the surface, but the strings, too, need a dry wipe-down every day. I promise they last so much longer if you wipe those strings down. I tried to train Ava to do this very early on, because it is something I was not great at, and I have to remind myself even now. These habits need to start early. I hate car analogies, but here we go. You should treat your instrument like your car and that it needs to visit the shop three to four times a year, in my opinion. And some of those times might be because you sense something is off. Those times also count in my numbers. But it needs to be checked to make sure you aren't overlooking something that needs repair. It is not uncommon to have seams come loose when the weather changes and sound posts need adjustment more than a few times a year. You can also have cracks come open for the same reason. Here's some real talk. And right back to the car analogy we go. With a car, when there's something wrong, yes, you're not driving as well as maybe you could be because your brakes need new pads or whatever. But with a violin, it could affect how you feel about your own playing. It can lead you to sacrifice more time, not see your friends as often, hold yourself up in a practice room for days, when really the thing that needs to be done is that the instrument needs to be repaired in a shop. So... I think this bears repeating to some parents and students because it has such a psychological impact on the kids to be playing on equipment which is not well-maintained. So know that you need to see the shop a few times a year. Understand that you will need to change your strings every three to four months and on the A and the E string even more often than that. Ask your teacher to put you on a schedule for this so that you understand what's expected and so that you can start getting used to it. As a general rule, I advise my students to bring their instruments in to be adjusted in the 10 days leading up to any major performance. There, they can address the need for new strings or any minor repair. Sometimes a bridge needs to be unwarped. Other times, something more pressing is noticed, like the neck needing to be reset. You just don't want to find yourself with these things cropping up on you the week of a major audition or performance. And you can't change all your strings a few days before without risking a mishap. Not only do they need time to break in, but it will change how your young artist feels. And they will have to recalibrate things like perfect intervals for pitch. 
This is a perfect segue to a story from when I was competing as a teenager. My teacher back east for my advanced training was a very calm guy, so even keel all the time, that I wasn't really sure how he felt about me for many years. But one day when I was getting ready for a major national competition, I found out he did, in fact, have a very fiery side that matched his last movement of the Sibelius. I had gone to the violin shop to just have my violin assessed because he thought my bridge needed to be unwarped a bit. That was all I had asked them to do, but they returned the violin with a newly sanded fingerboard. This made it very hard for me to play in tune all of a sudden. He was livid that they had done this without my consent. He called them right in front of me and chewed them out. I had no idea planing the fingerboard was why I was having the trouble I was, but he did. All of my perfect intervals were out of tune, and my Bach was a mess. I look back on it, and I feel so bad for my young self. All of this repertoire that I had played so beautifully, that I had crafted so personally, I couldn't play anymore as well as I was used to. I remember feeling tense that day and unsure of myself. Everything about me felt different. So it isn't just that the instrument wasn't working the way I wanted it to. It made me feel different about myself and my ability to present myself that weekend. And sure enough, that weekend was very rough for me. So here is something to keep in mind about luthiers. They are very busy. They have a backlog of things to get done and people to satisfy. They have lots of different tiers of responsibilities too. And that goes from student violins all the way up to high paid soloists who are in town for the weekend and need them. You want to have a relationship with them that is respectful and ongoing. You will need them, and it helps immeasurably for them to know you and your kid and be interested to hear what you have coming up. They are not mind readers. Be prepared to tell them up front before handing over your violin and bow what you have around the corner and what you're experiencing with the violin. Be ready to demonstrate it. Have your kid with you. Have a ready-made list of things you want them to do or look at and make sure they know that you don't want them just doing whatever they see needs done right before a performance. Be ready to call your teacher or text them on the spot before having work done if you have any qualms about things they are saying to you. I have received texts from students in years past that go, I am on my way to the violin shop. Will you be ready in about 15 minutes if I have a question? Do not go to the luthier without going over the list of things you're wanting them to do or adjust with your private teacher. So much work and building of technique and rehearsals go into every major audition or performance. Changes to the instrument done at the wrong time can really upset the apple cart. Think also about scheduling this trip to the violin shop on the right week. Always remember that on performance or audition weeks, other things will already be added to the schedule, like added lessons or rehearsals. There might even be a quick trip or two to go get the right clothing or a new pair of shoes. So squaring away the instrument and the bow the week before that is a good idea. That's why I recommend that for my kids. So yes, you need to be seeing the shop three to four times a year just to check on things, but you also need to get into the habit of seeing them before larger events or auditions. 
Sometimes my students find themselves kind of engrossed in competition season, so to speak, where there's an audition of some kind every weekend. So before those periods of high concert activity start up, that's a good time to take the violin in too. Then you might find yourself back in the shop again in the midst of your heavy schedule, but at least you are covering your bases and giving your child the best chance at success with the instrument and the bow that you paid for. One of the motivators for me to make this episode today was that I really wish students and parents got into better, more professional habits with their violins in general, so that they could truly appreciate what that can offer them in terms of cleaner sound, pitch, and facility. Once you genuinely understand this, your actions will also change and you'll go to the shop more often. I have had countless times where because I'm crunched for time, I really battle myself about whether I should skip a needed practice session to head to the shop and get the violin looked over. But every time I've made the plunge and gone ahead to the shop, I've ended up just feeling silly for having not done it sooner because I always play better right afterwards with the instrument in better working order and I never miss the practice I skipped. In fact, it seems almost like I didn't need that practice at all. You know that feeling you get when you realize that in some parallel universe you actually didn't go to the violin shop and you were still struggling with those three spots for no reason, but now with your newly tuned up violin, all those spots are golden, but you could have gone either way. You just happened to choose the right path. Now you're playing more proficiently, not because of some practice technique or magic lesson, but because the facility in your own instrument has been restored. The thing is, as musicians and as string players, we tend to think we just need to practice more or better, and we blame ourselves and then hole up to practice. Or maybe we'll schedule an extra three lessons in a panic. But it might just be the instrument. And often for me, that is exactly why I couldn't play high up clearly on the G string or get that passage work to project properly or even just get the E string to stop whistling. So don't hesitate, call the shop, make it a regular occurrence. Better yet, tell your kid about it and make it part of the pre-performance or audition routine or ritual. Make them aware that this is something they will be doing with you instead of practice that week, that it's that important to the overall quality and consistency of their performances. That way when they're older, they remember to do it and see it as just part of the norm. My mom used to do this for me, and then we would go to lunch afterwards. There was an amazing lunch stop nearby, and I still have the best memories attached to this. My practice was almost done at this point. My dress was picked out, family had been notified to come in and show support, and the violin was now in tip-top shape. Ready, set, go, right? It was exciting. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast about instrument purchases and maintenance. I know that this information can easily be overlooked in the business of training a young artist. But given how integral a beautiful instrument is to a child finding their voice, I was inspired to write this episode in hopes we will see more true artists on stage for it later down the road. I want parents to be empowered with information so that their kids have the best chance possible of feeling unique on stage. The more we connect with parents about the different components that make up a meaningful music education, the more we will see our young artists thrive. Don't miss a beat. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Podbean. 
If you have a question or a topic you would like to discuss on Beyond the Triangle, my ears are wide open. Write me at beyondthetrianglepodcast at gmail.com and let's connect. Let's connect.